Welcome to Fantasy or Reality, the GPP. Whatever road you took to get here doesn't matter. What matters is you're here. My hope is that we all can help one another in this journey. Hey everyone, welcome back. My name is Steve and uh, I am the host of this here podcast. So today, uh, there's a couple of things I want to talk about here. Um, I just want to first off start by saying that uh, these are just my opinions. This is stuff I've kind of uh, gathered over time as being someone who's been in long-term recovery. I'm not a doctor. I'm not a physician. I have no degrees uh, in anything in the related field. I'm I'm just someone who has lived experience with gambling addiction, drug addiction, uh, low self-esteem, low self-worth, yada, yada, all these things. And I've also met a lot of people in recovery over the years. And, uh, yeah, I, I just, I have always, you know, we, when you're in 12 step programs, right. Or when you talk about addiction, everybody talks about, um, addiction being a disease. And I bought into it for a long time. I worked it that way when I was in uh, NA for a drug addiction. I even began to work it that way for a while uh, when I stopped gambling and when I attended GA for a little while and um, viewed it as an addiction. I mean, I'm sorry, not an addiction. It is an addiction. I viewed it as a disease, something that we had to treat. That's something that you always had uh, that you could never really get away from that always needed constant work. And while it's true, you always do need to work at this issue, whether it's drug addiction, gambling, anxiety, low self-worth, low self-esteem, all these things. I'm really coming to feel like these things are all intertwined. Yes, they all have their own intricate, uh, you know, detail. What am I saying here? They all have their differences, obviously. You know, gambling addiction, it's... It's you're you're betting on something. You're spending money that you don't have. You're you know you're chasing after the money. There's no, you know, we have the adrenaline rushes and those highs, but there's you know you're not like shooting up heroin or fentanyl and you can overdose. Um, you uh, you know with alcohol, it's obvious. It's all different substances, but I feel like it's all boils down to the same kind of stuff in our brains. I feel like. You know, you could call it a brain disease if you want, and I'm not saying that you're wrong if you think that. This is just my feelings, my thoughts. I'd like to share them with you. If you think I'm wrong, feel free to let me know or tell me what you think. This is just kind of the conclusion I've come to. It doesn't mean I won't change my mind in the future again. But I've been reading this book called You Are Not Your Brain by Jeffrey M. Schwartz, M.D. and Rebecca Gladding, M.D., it's called uh, You Are Not Your Brain, The Four-Step Solution for Changing Bad Habits, Ending Unhealthy Thinking, and Taking Control of Your Life. So there's a few passages I kind of want to read and then talk about a little bit here. So the first thing is uh, on page four. They kind of define what deceptive brain messages are. So in here, they define it as any false or inaccurate thought or any unhelpful or distracting impulse, urge, or desire that takes you away from your true goals and intention and life and then they identify something else called your true self which is living according to your true self means seeing yourself for who you really are based on your sincere striving 
to embody the values and achieve the goals you truly believe in. It includes approaching yourself, your true emotions and needs from a loving, caring, nurturing perspective that is consistent with how your loving inner guide sees you. So first thoughts off that, deceptive brain messages. It just makes me think to the times where I was in active addiction, like really deep into it where no matter like what I was doing at that time to try to stop, I knew it was harmful. I knew it was unhealthy. I knew it was damaging my life around me. I could not stop. For whatever reason, I was having an issue at that time to stop. I kept giving in to these deceptive brain messages. Um, I kept giving in to this flawed way of thinking. And, uh, you know, before I guess before I go on, let me define what, uh, why the, you know, the definition from the ASAM, the Addiction Society, I'm sorry, the American Society Addiction Medicine defines addiction as a primary chronic disease of brain reward, motivation, memory, and related circuitry. Dysfunction in these circuits leads to characteristic biological, psychological, social, and spiritual manifestations. I don't know. In my mind, seeing it as a disease kind of keeps you stuck. It kind of makes you... At least for me and for many others, you know, you feel like, oh, I am stuck this way. I am always going to have this thing. I'm always going to have to either be an NA or a GA or whatever it is. I mean, you should always continue on with what has helped you. I am a firm believer in that. I am almost two and a half years bet free and I still go to my meetings. But uh, I don't know. I just don't, I'm not seeing it as a disease anymore. I'm seeing it as deceptive brain messages. I'm seeing it as, you know, like, uh, you begin a behavior, right? You bet for the first time and, it, and you, you get that reward system. Uh, it triggers something. It makes you feel good about, you know, either you've gained some sense, you know, some sort of money in a, in a gambling sense or the high of the potential of that money. If you're using drugs or alcohol, you obviously get that euphoria from using those drugs or alcohol. And the more and more you use it, the more these brain circuits rewire and it becomes your default setting. So talking more about deceptive brain messages. Um, here we go. Page 15. How can you begin to recognize the false negative thoughts associated with your actions and uncomfortable sensations? One of the best ways to see the deceptive thoughts is to be attentive to your negative self-talk. Those things you automatically say to yourself without awareness that are not true and that others might not even suspect were present inside your head. I mean, if that's not you know, 101 for addiction, anxiety, depression, all that stuff. I don't know what is, what isn't. Uh, all right, back to the book. Uh, you may already have been exposed to the idea of such deceptive brain messages just under a different name. Some therapists or authors might refer to them as cognitive distortions, automatic thoughts, negative thinking, or scripts. The main point is that these are disparaging stories to tell yourself the inaccurate explanations you give for why something is happening the way it is, that cause you to act in a habitual way that are not beneficial to you. Often seeing what others have described and experienced can be helpful in identifying your deceptive brain messages. So for me, I mean, this is just the beginning. It's just defining what these things are, these, these thoughts, these intrusive thoughts that come into our mind, these, you know, thoughts of we're not good enough. We are not lovable. We're not worth it to our family and friends. For whatever reason, these things unprovoked are just coming up in our mind we're, or in our brain. We're not thinking these things. 
our brain is sending this message. And in this book, they kind of talk about the difference between the brain and the mind. Um, so for me, it's like these uh, deceptive brain messages have been there for me since childhood. For whatever reason, we all have our own reasons why these things have started, whether it's a, a difficult childhood, whether it's looking at social media and seeing the people around us we assume are doing better than us and these negative feelings that it builds up in us. And the more and more we think about these things, the more and more we allow those thoughts to become our reality, our truth, the more this circuitry becomes wired into our mind and that becomes the automatic response in our brain. Where it's like when I was in my gambling addiction, for example, deep into it, I was losing thousands of dollars at a point sometimes. And I knew if I did not stop, I would lose my family. I kept thinking of myself in this horrific way, like I've talked about it before, like not wanting to bet, telling myself I'm not going to. And then at the end of the day, these intrusive thoughts would come in saying, do it. If you, if this is the, the one, you know, one more time, this could be your way out. This could be your way out. Those are those negative thoughts. Those are those intrusive thoughts that are coming from our brain that are not based in reality. It's this habitual response we've created from our own, you know, behaviors. So, you know, I was just talking about how there's a difference between the brain and your mind and how they talk about it in this book. So on page 21, it's titled, You Are Not Your Brain. Um, it says, we've shown that the brain is capable of sending out false deceptive messages in an unrelenting fashion and that these unwanted thoughts and destructive urges can overrun your life. They can take you away from your true self your true goals and values, and cause you to live a life devoid of direction. And as long as you remain unaware of what your brain is doing or believe that there is no way to alter how your brain functions, you are essentially powerless to live life on your terms. There's no place from which to make change because the very thing that is generating the deceptive brain messages appears to be running the show. The good news is that you have an ally that can help you sculpt your brain to work for you, rather than against you, your mind. Although there are many different concepts and definitions of the mind out there, ours is straightforward. The mind is involved in helping you constructively focus your attention. Why is this important? When you learn how to focus your attention in positive, beneficial ways, you might actually rewire your brain to support those actions and habits. In this way, the mind gives you the power to determine your actions, decide what is important and what is not, and reassess the value or meaning of situations, people, yourself, and events. In a nutshell, that's essentially what I've learned over these years by going to therapy. It's like my brain is telling me one thing, my mind is telling me another, right? Like I've talked about this before. It feels like there's two people inside you, right? The, this one person, the or you want to call it the addiction or the disease, is telling you one thing. You know that's not what you want to do, and you have yourself on the other side who's saying, I don't want to live this way. I don't want to be this person. I don't want to do this thing. But for whatever reason, because of these uncomfortable sensations, so many times it's easy just to give in for that momentary relief, knowing how it's not beneficial for us in the future. Um, so, like, especially like, I don't even want to just say in the beginning, over these last few years, anytime I've had a negative thought, I would identify it. And this is what this book talks about, is identifying when those first things happen. We can't control when our brain sends these negative thoughts and sends these intrusive thoughts. There's nothing we can do about that. Um, 
what we have the power to do, though, is what we do when that happens. You know, uh, let's see, in the book here it says, uh, while this is an alluring common thought process, it is a dangerous way to approach deceptive brain messages. The truth is you really are not in control of your deceptive brain messages or uncomfortable sensation. Your brain is. That means you cannot make your thoughts or urges disappear by using willpower alone. Trying to do so is a surefire pre uh, prescription for discouragement, disappointment, and demoralization. So right there, it's, you know, just like they say in the, in, the, in the programs, it's like willpower alone is not going to fix us. We can't grit our way and grind our way through recovery and life just on, on sheer willpower. It doesn't work. There has to be some actual work done, whether it's therapy, whether it's reading self-help books, whether it is a 12-step program. Um, I know 12-step programs and the steps have helped many, many people and viewing it as a disease has helped many people and I would never take that away from them and I don't think they're wrong. This is just my opinion. Um, I see this more as deceptive brain messages brought on by negative thinking, negative self-talk, um, habits that we've learned in the past. You know, so, so you have these negative things that happen. I, you know, I had a, a, a rough childhood coming up. You know, I know my parents love me, but there was a lot of stuff that happened when I was growing up that really affected how I grew into young adulthood and the decisions I made. And um, I did not like a lot of what those decisions were and who, at least how I viewed myself. So these deceptive brain messages kept popping up. You are garbage. You are not good enough. You are never going to advance in life. You are never going to, you are not worth this family you have. Um, all the negative thoughts, you know, you're not healthy enough. You're not in good enough shape. All these, all for whatever reason, these things pop up. At least in my brain, that was what would would pop up. And then, in my teenage and twenty year, uh, in my early twenties, I would, I would be using drugs, or drinking, and it would always progress to harder and harder drugs. No matter how much I told myself it wasn't going to, and the end result, it always did. Um, you know, gambling with me. It started off as something fun to do you know, free with friends, yada, yada. If you've listened to this, you've heard this story before, you know, but when I moved into my parents' house and, and you know, where my family and I moved into my parents' house and we were having financial difficulties. So those old thoughts came back up and those deceptive brain messages came into my mind again saying, I'm not good enough. I'm not saving enough. I'm not providing enough to my family. Um, so that's when I turned the gambling activity of fantasy sports from something that was fun uh, to something that was negative, where I kept chasing this money, thinking that money was the only way to make our lives better. Money was the only thing that was going to fix everything. Money was the only thing that was going to fix my self-worth. And then over the next, whatever it was, four years off and on, it just destroyed my life. And the worse and worse it got, the more and more I had difficulty stopping. And... I think that's because, you know, these negative things, although they impacted my financial health, my mental health, my family life negatively in many ways, my brain kept telling me that this is the way out. You know, it makes no sense, but it's like, as a gambler, it's like you think the only way out is to keep trying and to win. And uh, as anyone who knows who's a gambler or someone who's the family of a gambler, no matter how much you win, it does not matter. You're going to lose it all. There are very few people I've ever met that have been able 
ever able to take the money and, you know, quote unquote run. And uh, I don't know. Those are just my two cents. I could be wrong. I could be right. Who knows? Those are just my thoughts. And then there's kind of one other thing. Kind of coincides with the steps. So this is page 24. It says, biology is not destiny. Many of us feel powerless to make a change. We think, I am these thoughts. I am these urges. This is who I am. Some feel that even if they seek out treatment and improve, the fact that they have been depressed, anxious, or addicted in the past means they will always be that person, the one with the problem, or they worry that the symptoms are destined destined to reoccur. They believe that they were dealt a bad genetic hand at birth and are sentenced to a life of misery and chronic struggle. They often end up thinking, what is the point? I can't beat this thing. I've tried before and nothing has ever worked. I might as well give up. And uh, I've met a lot of people like that. And I know I've felt that way at certain times. Um, I felt like I am always going to be this person. I'm always going to be Steve, the fuck up. I'm oh, sorry, the whatever, the uh, screw up, the mess up. I'm never going to change. Um, no matter what I do, even if I stop this, I'll, I'll come back and screw something up in another way. And the reason I say this kind of coincides with the steps is because if you look at the steps, you know, I'll just use GA as an example. It says step one, we admitted we were powerless over our gambling, that our lives had become unmanageable. Step two, came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to a normal way of thinking and living. And step three, made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of this power of our understanding. So according to this passage and according to the steps, we are powerless, right? There's nothing we can do. We're, you know, aside from doing the steps and turning our will and our lives over to a higher power. And I've seen that work for a lot of people. And if it works for you, I am so happy for you. I love that that works for you. I'm glad that you've turned your life around in that way. But that way of thinking and the steps have never worked for me. And this is long before I had this this thought. So, you know, for me, like, obviously, if you've listened, you know that therapy has changed, changed my life. And that's a lot of kind of what I'm getting out of this book is a lot of what I've learned in therapy is, you know, identifying negative self-talk, identifying negative behaviors, and refocusing my thinking. You know, if I get a, for example, if I get a negative thought saying, uh, oh my God, this, the, like earlier on, the fence was falling down. I don't have enough money to fix it right now. I am a poor provider, which makes me a bad dad and makes me a bad husband. Well, catch it right there. No, I'm not a poor provider and a bad husband and a bad dad because I can't uh, afford to fix a fence right now. You know, fast forward, this year, my wife and I were able to do it. Now, does that mean that I'm a good husband now? Does that make me a better person, a better father, because I could afford to fix a fence this year? No, but my negative thought, thinking, my negative self-talk, my brain was telling me that. And then my mind and my true self took that as, as, as truth. This is who I am. I've been able to, over the years, put a barrier between my brain and and my mind, who I really am, and then these initial thoughts that always pop up. So I used to think that these initial thoughts were the disease, the addiction, the whatever, whatever, whatever you want to call it. Now, I'm really beginning to think it's just, for whatever reason, it's just, whether it's 
nature, nurture, the way of life that we live in right now, you know, social media, how I was brought up, uh, everyday life in general, it is so easy to fall into that negative pattern of thinking and then that becomes your your initial response, your initial thought. Now, according to this book and according to, at least from my experience, what I've seen over the last few years is you can rewire those thoughts. I will still occasionally get those thoughts where I, you know, like whatever it was last year or earlier, I had that thought that came in, the fence is about to fall down, can't afford to fix it, bad husband, bad father. I was able to cut that thought off and realize that that's not true. That is not my true self. This is not who I am. This is just that thought trying to come in and pervade and take over my thinking. You know, over the years, I by refocusing my attention and refocusing that thought, I've, I've learned who I really am. I am a great father. I am a great husband. I'm a great person in general. And I, I hate even the way that sounds. I'm, you know, and here we go again. It's just, why can't I just, you know, right there, I can't give myself a compliment. I can. I know who I am as a person. I'm Great to my kids, great to my wife, and great to myself, and great to the people around me. Do I make mistakes? Sure, who doesn't make mistakes? But I do my best to try to make amends and apologize when I know I'm wrong. But like I said, nobody's perfect. Um, and you can't expect anybody to be perfect. You have to have give yourself grace and... And, uh, yeah. So, but anyway, so I've been able to, over the years really redirect my thinking and it takes some work you have to identify when those thoughts come in all the time cut it off at the pass and say no this is not true this is the true story and the more and more i've been able to recognize these negative thoughts intrusive thoughts when they come in stop it tell myself and realize that that's not the truth that's not who i am that's not how the situation really is that person really doesn't think that about me or uh, this situation doesn't really say this about me and redirect the thinking. The more and more I've done that, the more and more I've realized that my brain now will react more positively where it's like that is now the path. So you, you think of it as like you have this walking path, right? We've created in our lives the, all these circuitries, circuits in our brain or whatever. According to this book, like I said, I am not a scientist, but according to this book and some other stuff I've read, it's like, these circuits in our brain are basically like a path that's been traveled over and over again. So when we walk up to it, it's easiest to just follow along that same path, no matter how difficult it is to traverse it, how difficult it is to, you know, say you're trying to climb a mountain, right? You, you're climbing through a very rocky terrain that's up and down and difficult. But if you look off to your right, there's a much easier way you can see through, through the trees. It's a much straighter path with nicer views but because it's overgrown and we can't see what's through the grass, we can't through the, see through what's through the trees, our brain initially in our mind will always take this pathway because it's already well-traveled, it's already well-worn. The way to refocus our attention and to get your brain to have that positive response initially is to start traversing that new path, get that machete, you know, start walking over that grass. And the more and more you do that, and taking that better pathway, the more and more that will become the new traveled path. And the other one that you're not going down anymore will become grown over and you will not be walking over that path anymore. And I can say with honesty that that is what has happened to me over the last two and a half years. 
It takes time. It's never perfect. But more and more, I've realized that because I've noticed these things and through therapy recognized a lot of what this book is talking about, and it's just reinforced my thinking because of my own personal experience, that that is the way to do it for myself. And I hope for you and I hope for the people in your life, if they can apply that way of thinking and apply that thought instead of thinking of it as a disease where it's like we're stuck with this forever. The only thing I can really do is go to meetings or, you know, just stay away from gambling or stay away from this. Yes, you have to stay away from the addictive behavior because of the negative consequences it's had on us. But you don't always have to, you know, or at least... you. you you're not always going to be an, an, uh, an addict or whatever you want to call yourself. Like we had this issue. We had these uh, problems in our lives, whether it be drugs, alcohol, depression, anxiety, obsessive compulsive, um, negative self-thought, you know, low self-worth. I, I really think they are all the same thing. It's just comes out in different ways and different people just, and it's all circumstantial. It just all happens to be what's happening in your life at that point. And once again, I can't stress this enough. I am not a doctor. Don't just take this, uh, my word for it. Go read this book, You Are Not Your Brain by Jeffrey Schwartz and Rebecca Gladding. You know, do some research on your own. I'm just saying that this has been my experience. So, so far from what I've read from this book, I'm really beginning to see that it's like, it's not a disease. We're not stuck this way forever. Um, people I, I know from my groups, you know, some of these guys have you know, six years, 12 years, like a long period in recovery and they live a great life and they're not going to meetings constantly and they're not going to therapy constantly. They still do the things that work for them and we stay connected with one another. But, you know, at least in my mind, if, if it was a disease, then we would always fall back. Like the book says, we'd always end up falling back into an addiction, whether it be gambling or sex or drugs or yada, yada. And, I can say for certainty that that, at least for now, has not been the case for me. You know, I, if I notice something's getting a little out of hand in my life, I can identify it. You know, uh, I'll give you an example. You can probably hear it. My freaking nose is stuffed up like crazy right now, right? And for a little while, I was using nose spray multiple times a day, and I began to realize, oh, I'm really kind of leaning on this and using this more than I should. This is too much. I'm only going to use this at times when I really, really can't breathe instead of just when the initial discomfort happens, which is what this book says. You get that initial discomfort and you immediately want to gratify it and fix it. So instead of becoming dependent and staying dependent on nose spray, right, I recognize that and stop the behavior. And even though I'm a little stuffy like you can hear, I can still breathe a little bit and I'm not going to the nose spray. And eventually I'll get over it. And I won't need to no spray anymore. So it's just like staying proactive and looking for these things in your life. That's what I've done. That's what's worked for me. Um, and I hope it works for you. Um, I'm not saying like once again, if these other things have worked for you, I'm very happy for you. I just have noticed that there are a lot of people who have a difficult time with 12-step, have a difficult time with the higher power concept of a difficult time um, with the, the disease concept and then they get discouraged and then too many people go out and relapse and I think there needs to be 
more than one way to recover. I know we've got smart recovery and other ways to do it. I know there's just support groups. Um, I'm just offering my perspective and what's worked for me. That's what this whole podcast has been about is just what works for me and kind of sharing that, uh, talking to other people about what works for them. And um, I think that's it for now. I'm going to quit yammering. I'm almost at a half hour here. So I appreciate everybody listening. I appreciate you continuing to listen or if you're a new listener welcome hello how are you and uh like i said if you disagree with anything i've said or if you agree with me or if this method has worked for you please write in let me know i would be more than happy to have a discussion with you and hear your point of view because like i said i don't think my way is the only way the right way is just what has worked for me i'd love to hear new thoughts and ideas so if you've got something you want to share feel free to reach out fantasy or reality at yahoo.com and that's it be good to yourselves and each other bye for those seeking out help you can call 1-800-GAMBLER or 1-888-532-3500 for those looking for help for your family members or affected others you can call Gaminon at 718-352-1671. And if you're in New York State, you can call the New York Council on Problem Gambling at 833-437-3864.